morning. If you have a Bible, I'm going to invite you to take it up and turn with me to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 6 is where we will be this morning. If you're here this morning and you don't have a Bible, if you're new to church or just new to our church, uh, we are so glad that you're here, and we would love uh, for you to be able to uh, follow along with us. In the pew back in front of you, then there is a a book there that is a Bible, and we would love to have you join us, and you can find uh, this reading on page 514 of that particular book. You can also uh, go and just download right now our Grove Church app, and then you can go click on the Bible tab, and then you can find uh, Proverbs chapter 6 there as well. Uh, This morning you find us in the middle of our series uh, called Wisdom 101, Wisdom Literature uh, 101, because we've decided that we would take the fall where we would go back to school, if you like, we would go back to class, and we would go to the class of wisdom, and we would allow Solomon and the sages of the scriptures to be our teacher and our guide. And the theme of our series, if you like, if you want to say, what is this series about? If you could walk away from this series, here's the theme of the series. It's this, that I want, we need to understand that first, that God made you, that God loves you, that God wants to guide you because God wants you to be wise. God made you. He know he made all things and he made you and therefore he loves you which means he's for you displayed most in the gift of his son Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his death, his glorious resurrection, his imminent return. He he is for you and therefore he wants to guide you in life because he wants you to be wise. Because he wants you to be wise. And so each week we're taking on, because if you've ever read through Proverbs, it's hard to read through, it's hard to get the themes because Proverbs jumps around. And so we're taking a different topic, a different theme each week, and the next two weeks we will be studying together, maybe you might think of this as um, two sides of the same, or opposite sides of the same coin. Because over the next two weeks, today, we're going to be looking at work, and next week we're going to be looking at rest. And these are intricately related to one another according to the scriptures. And I want to tease that out for us this morning as we think about work and as we think about rest. So Proverbs chapter 6 is our text. And in Proverbs, we have, uh, I want to suggest to you that there's two primary ways that Proverbs looks at the idea of work. The idea of work. Um, One way, the first way, is this that it talks about the diligent, the diligent. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 15, this is what, this is what the writer says. In Proverbs chapter 21, uh, verse 15. No? There it is. The plans of the diligent lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. So the plans of the diligent. So there are those who work diligently right? Because, why? Because they recognize that it leads to profit, and so they're diligent in their work. And then in the other, the other way that, the, that uh, work is looked at is the sluggard, and there you have in Proverbs 6 and in these verses that are in front of you, the text that is before you. The, the writer here, Solomon says, go to the ant, you sluggard, consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, And yet it stores up its provision in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief, 
and scarcity like an armed man. So in Proverbs, what we have here is the writers are saying there are two ways in which we gener- Proverbs talks about work. Those who are diligent and, and earn a profit and those who are sluggards and find themselves in scarcity, right? Now, here's the thing. Um, the sluggard is the one who wants to, is concerned primarily about comfort, is concerned primarily about leisure, is not terribly motivated to get out of bed, not terribly motivated to get a job. The diligent is one that knows that if he continues to work or if she continues to work, then they will earn a profit and there will be return on that. And so they continue to work. Now, the danger, of course, of a sluggard is that they are lazy and that they never get a job. The danger of the diligent is that they are so concerned with getting a profit that they overwork. And that their primary concern, their, fu- their significance, their value, their self-worth is, in, is wrapped up in their work. And, I th- and I'm going to suggest to you that we, he- we come here this morning and in, in, the, in the gathering of this size, what we have is those for here who find themselves in the default setting of a sluggard. You're not... The motivation is hard. Monday mornings, man, that snooze button is fantastic. And it's just one of those things where we... And then on the other side, we also have some here this morning for whom the default setting is that of not just working, but of continuing to work and work and work and work and work and work. So much so that it has a detrimental effect on your health and on your body and on your family and on your relationships and a whole lot of other things. We have default settings, and we come into this, this idea of work. And some of you are here this morning, and you're retired, and you're thinking, well, I can just kick back, and I can just take it easy because I'm not working. So obviously, this doesn't apply to you. I, I, I want to challenge you and suggest to you that until, um, until God takes you to be with himself or he returns, you still have work to do, whether you're actually employed or not. There is a job that God has for you, and so therefore, you don't get out of free. You don't get out of jail free, right? You got work to do. All right. And I believe that God wants to speak to us this morning about how He made us and about how He wants to guide us into our work. And and I, I want to suggest to you this: that He wants to guide us into the natural rhythms of grace, the rhythms of grace that he actually made for us, or if you like, the unforced rhythms of grace, the ways in which God has made us. And in order for us to unpack this, we need to spend some time thinking about Genesis chapters 1, 2, and 3. That's that's where we need to go, is to Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3, because this is where God created. This is the account of God's creation. And And if we want to understand God's wisdom for us, we have to begin by going back there, because we are, as As God's creation, we are made, humanity is made in the very image of God. So Genesis chapter 2 says this, this is the the first three verses of Genesis chapter 2. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work that he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that he had done. So there's a few things that we can, get, we can gather by way of observation from this text. First is this. It says that God worked. It says that God worked. I don't know if you've thought about that. 
you've considered those things that God himself according to his revelation about himself he worked and the work that he was doing was the work of creation the second thing is that he stopped he finished his work he, he finished the work that he was doing and the third thing then is that he rested from his work he rested from the work that he had done you say okay well that's kind of interesting I suppose but why should this matter if you and I are created in the image of God and God reveals to us through his word that he works and we are to image him, then what does that mean about you and I? That we were created to work. That you, we were created, the reason we were created we, is that in order that we might be able to work that you were made to do work, that you are most alive when you are active, when you are working. Because some of us have a tendency to think that work is a curse. feels that way sometimes. We have a tendency to think that work is a result of the curse. It's not. Because God created man, and when he created Adam, then he said that he wanted Adam, he gave him a job to do, which was to tend to the Garden of Eden. That's work. He gave him a job. That was his job. He made a gardener. God worked, and then he, he had Adam to tend to the garden. He was working the ground. That's what he was supposed to do. He gave him a job. It was, and, then, and then came Genesis chapter 3, where sin entered the world. So work came before the brokenness, before the sin, before, in theological terms, the fall happened. Which also means that when God comes, when Jesus returns, when there's a new heavens and new earth, then there will be work to do. We were designed to image God. God is the one who works. And he says to us, he made work. He made work for us to do. When we are working, we are most alive in him. And therefore, for all of eternity, there will be work for you to do. I don't know if that's an encouragement to you, but it's biblical that we'll have work. The reason that we don't find joy in our work, the reason that work is toil is because of the fall. It's because of the brokenness. That's when it became hard. That's when it became difficult. That's when work became oppressive. That's when it became challenging. Not because of the work, because God made you to work so you can be alive in what, how he made you. And you will be doing that work for all of eternity. This is how God made us. But God also didn't just work, but he also rested. Was it because God was tired? Whew. No. He rested because we are made in his image. He rested because we need it. He's setting for us the rhythms, the unforced rhythms of our lives. He's giving you and I, telling us what's best for us. He made you. And he loves you. And he says, let me guide you into what's best. And if you go and read through Genesis chapter 1, what you'll find is this idea, these unforced rhythms, where it says, and on the first day, there was evening and there was morning. And on the second day, there was evening and there was morning. And on the third day, there was evening and there was morning. These unforced rhythms of, rhythm, rhythms of, of grace. You see, but here's the deal. These rhythms get broken because some of us don't want to do the work. We just would rather not work, and we resemble the sluggard, and other of us, others of us don't want the rest, and so we want to overwork. 
and we break these, this rhythm, that way in which God made us to live our lives. There's a guy who I was in a conversation with about this. His name is Dave Rhodes, and he was talking to me about this. He, he said something that I found really interesting, and he said, you know that rhythm that's in Genesis chapter 1 where there's morning and there is evening, and there, or there's evening and then there was morning, and then there was evening, and then there was morning. He said, have you ever thought about that? He said, one time it dawned on me that I've never actually taken that very seriously. Is it possible that that was in there actually on purpose? And I said, well, what do you, what do you mean? He said, well, you know, for the Jews, their, their day started in the evening. So the Sabbath started on a Friday evening and went from sundown to sundown. That was the rhythm. And he said, and I said, he said, do you think about it that way? I said, no, I don't think about it. I think morning, evening, morning, evening. That's when, he says, and what happens when we do that? We start out our days, we get up, we, we start our mornings, and, we, and we, what do we do? We go to work, we go to school, we go do the stuff of the day. And what happens is we drag our mornings into our evenings, and the time that's supposed to be a time of rest and refreshment, the rhythm gets messed up because we bring our work home with us, and then we have dinner, and then we start working again. And it messes up the rhythms that God has put in place, the way he's actually made us. And he says, you know, it dawned on me that maybe my day, I should start thinking about my day starting at five and bringing my rest into my morning rather than the other way around of dragging my work into my resting and therefore not getting the rest or the rhythm that God has made for us. So there is this, if you like, pendulum. If here is our work and here is our rest, that God says we need to be on this pendulum. But some of us are in our default settings have a tendency to, to way overwork, and so the pendulum starts swinging way up here. And others of us have a tendency to, to just find leisure and desire. And so the pendulum gets out of whack on the other side because of our default settings. I think this is really interesting because we need to, and, and what Dave Rhodes had said at that time, he said, that a part of the grace of the Garden of Eden was the pace of the Garden of Eden. We run at such a rapid pace. Let me personally, I run at such a rapid pace because of all the stuff of a dad and of a pastor and of a leader and of a neighbor and all of the stuff that's on my life and that's on yours. That so often I'm not on that I get so out of whack on the rhythms of grace that God has designed for you and for me and for us. But see, God says, I made you and I love you and I want to guide you so that you can be wise, so that your life, you don't live your life in foolishness and silliness. Here are the rhythms that I put in the way I designed you and made you. Well, if we're going to be wise in our work. So this is, the, this is the tension, right? And so we need to focus on, we're going to focus our rest of our attention on having a robust understanding of, beginning to have a robust understanding of work. And next week we'll talk uh, and, and, and tease out the idea of rest. Because if we're going to do this, we need to spend time on both of these things. There's a couple things that I want us to understand to have a biblical understanding of work. And, there's t it's, uh, and I'm going to collect my thoughts under two headings. The first is, your work matters to God. And the second is, God matters to your work. So first, your work matters to God. Um, I think this is so important for us to understand. Because so many, there's two, what I would refer to, common ways of thinking about work. That I don't know how, I don't know how they got into the church. 
right? I don't know how they got into the common parlance of the church exactly. But one of the ways of thinking about work is this. When I'm at church and when I'm doing church work, when I'm like Byron and I go off to Rwanda, then I'm doing the work of God and I'm doing God's work. When I get a job, well, then I'm just making a living so that I can earn money so that I can go do God's work. Okay? That's one way of thinking about your vocation. Pretty common. Or another way to think about it is say, no, I, I don't think about it that way. I do recognize that what I do out there is a part of God's work when I am sort of sent. I know that I'm sent out from the church. Pastor, you talk about that all the time, that I'm sent from the church. But here's my fear. And maybe I'm wrong, but maybe not. That when I say that my job is to equip you and to send you out, what you hear me saying is that when I'm sending you out into your neighborhoods, when I'm sending you out into your office, that means that, you're, that sent, being sent out into the, the office or into the workplace is so that you can do evangelism. So that you can evangelize your coworkers, you can evangelize, so you can, have a, uh, you can have your coffee mug that says, I love Jesus on it, and hoping that somebody will ask you a question about why you love Jesus or why you have such a silly mug. I think both of those are, have elements of truth to them, and yet I don't think they're robust enough to understand, because we do need to be ready to do evangelism. We do need to be ready to share and have a reason for the hope that we have in Christ. But you see, I think it goes deeper than that. God worked, and we are made in the image of God. And this means that, our, that your work, whatever your profession, matters to God. No matter what your work is, it matters to him. Because God worked, that means he stamped dignity on all kinds of work, every facet of work. God gave honor and dignity to because we are made in his image and he is a God who works. Therefore, whatever your profession, he has given you dignity. One of the greatest thinkers on this has actually been Martin Luther. And, and let me just share with you some of Martin Luther's thoughts. He would go to passages, passages in the Bible. He would go to passage, a passage like Psalm 136, 25. Okay? So Psalm 136, 25 says this. He gives food to every creature. His love endures forever. Okay? He's speaking of God. God gives food to every creature. So how is it that every creature on earth plants, animals, people. How is it that they get their food? It is from God. And so he says, God is the one who feeds every living thing. And then Luther would go to a passage like Psalm 147, 13. And then he says, and it which reads, he strengthens, meaning God, God strengthens the bars of your gates and blesses your people within you. And he says, you know what this means? That God is the one who holds society together. He's the one who protects the city. He's the one who protects, he's the one who, who, who protects the people within the city. He's the one who set up government. He's the one who set up systems and structures so the cities might actually form. God is the one, says Luther, that actually feeds every living creature. God is the one who holds all of society together. He says, this is what the scriptures teach about our God. He holds all these things together. And then he asks this question, and how does he do that? How does God feed every living creature and hold all of society together? He says, through you, through your work, God chooses to use you to create, to make beautiful, 
to deliver. He says, how has it happened? He feeds you through farmers who grow their crops, who, through truck drivers who deliver it to stores, through clerks who actually run the cashiers, who stock the shelves. It's all work, but it's, why does that work matter? Because it helps with human flourishing. This is what God's plan is. This is how God feeds. It's through work. It's through work. He feeds you through cooks and through servers. Therefore, all work is actually God's work. All work is actually God's work. But here's the challenge. In our culture, in our day and age, we don't think that way, do we? We think that the most worthy professions are the ones that get paid the most. We think that the most worthy professions are those that have titles and degrees. We think of lawyers and doctors and, 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 and you know, rocket scientists, you know, and you meet somebody and they say, I'm a rocket scientist. You go, whoo-hoo, oh, ma'am. Mm-hmm. Yes, that's what I do. Because <laughs> I couldn't, com- and, then we, and then we talk about something mindless like sports. Because I can, I can hang on that level. But that's what we do, isn't it? And then we have a tendency to look down on those who are janitors or servers or you name the profession. We have a tendency to hold high these that we think are worthy of some sort of dignity and honor or others we have a tendency to look down upon. We think of ourselves as too good for certain tasks, for certain jobs. But that seems to be out of step and out of line with what the Bible actually teaches about work. It means that all work If we are going to be wise, if we are going to have a robust understanding of work, if we are going to counsel our children and our grandchildren about their own careers, then we must have a biblical understanding of how God thinks about work. And God says, because I work, because I am using all different kinds of professions in order to sustain and to hold and to create, then all work has dignity. All work is a way of God caring and sustaining his creation that he made, that he called good. You see, because, look, you take a, what you may refer to as a menial task, right? Of saying, of cleaning your home. You know, not many people go, I just love to clean toilets. I just can't wait. I love the smell of that toilet bowl cleaner. Fantastic. Those brushes. And I can't wait till when I'm really working it and it just kind of sprays up into my face. That's fantastic. I love that. I haven't heard anybody say that. I've never said that before until right now, actually. (laughs) And you say, but what happens if nobody cleans your house? What happens if nobody sweeps your floors? What happens if nobody... Eventually, you die. That's what happens. Have you thought that out? Eventually, you die because there will be sickness, because there will be disease, there will be dishealth in your home. If nobody cleans your house, eventually you die. You say, well, that's a horribly menial task. Yeah, but if nobody does it, then you can't... Then it's... You're foolish because that's a significant way of caring for the very creation. You say, okay, let's move on. All right, what does this mean? Two things. One, get a job. It means get a job because there's some of you, (laughs) don't be lazy, don't be a sluggard. It means, okay, so Proverbs 26, 13 says, a sluggard says, there's a lion in the road, a fierce lion roaming in the streets. I love this verse. Because what he's saying is, the sluggard's like, no, I can't go get a job. There's a lion out there. He might actually come and eat me. Really? 
I can't go get a job. I mean, I can't work at McDonald's. I mean, come on. What if somebody sees me? I can't work it. I won't. There's a lion out there. Hey, get a job. God made you to work. If you want to live in his wisdom, it means that you have a job. It doesn't mean you have to get a paid job, by the way. If some of you are home and caring for your children, that's, a, that's an important role. That's an important job that God has given you. So don't hear me say it all has to be about, about earning money. What I am saying is that all work is a part of God's way of provision for caring for his creation. And so therefore, you will not live the wise life that God has called you to live if you do not put your hand to work. If you don't work, get a job. Get off the couch. Put down the video games. Get a job. Second, and incidentally, for those of you who are retired, who are going, yeah, well, what? And, 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 and your primary pursuits are just things of pleasure, I want to challenge you to say, how are you being meaningful with the time that God has still given to you? There's lots of ways to do it. Second is this, do it well. We often will go, well, how is it that we can, how, is it, how can a Christian, what's it, how can I be a Christian, work Christianly, if you like? Well, one of the best ways to honor Christ in your work is to be good at what you do. Like, what's the best way to be a Christian lawyer? What's the best way to be a Christian school teacher? What's the best way to be a Christian pilot? What's the best way to be a Christian construction worker? There's lots of things to talk about. But you know, think about this. What's the best way to be a Christian pilot? I've got a suggestion. How about this? Land the plane. That's the most God-honoring thing. If you can talk to people about Jesus, your, your customers, your, your co-workers about Jesus, that's fantastic. That's icing on the cake. But if you don't land the plane, you're a terrible Christian pilot. You got to land the plane. You got to land the plane. Like when I, when, when I send my kids off to school, we, we pray with them on, on the good days when we do right things. Our intent always is to pray with our kids before school some mornings. You know, kids don't listen. Um, but I pray that our kids will do their best work. I pray that they do their best work. I don't pray that they, do, they get the greatest grades. That'd be nice. It'd be nice if they got a scholarship. I've got, well. But my primary prayer is that they do their best work because that's the most honoring to God. That my kids do their best work. That I do my best work. All right, so all work matters, and we, I, gotta, I gotta move on. And also, so, God, so all work matters to God. Your work matters to God. And then secondly, God matters to your work. That God needs to matter. Your faith needs to inform how you do what you do. All right? What you do matters to God, but your faith needs, why? God matters to your work first so that, so your work is not your identity. So that your work is not your identity. Work, when work, and it's particularly for those whose default setting is to overwork, then it becomes who you are. And particularly for men, this is a challenge. We find our significance, our value, and self-worth. If, if When going into a new situation, it, it's within 30 seconds or maybe a minute and 30 seconds where men talk to men and say, so what is it that you do? Or what is it that you did? And then off they go talking about their significance, value, and self-worth, which is their job. And we start this when, and just, just for fun, I mean, we start this when kids are young. We say, well, what is it that you want to be when you grow up? 
What is it that you want to become when you grow up? It's not a terrible question, but if we're not careful, then we're saying, what kind of identity do you want to forge? And then from, Christian, from, a, from a Christian perspective, your identity has to be rooted in something far more deep, far more significant than your, your profession of choice, than your degree. Because if your identity is in work and you are successful, then it goes to your head and you think you're amazing. Not only just at your job, but you think you're amazing at everything. You ever met a surgeon who's an amazing surgeon and thinks they're fantastic at everything else in life? They're not. They're just good surgeons. Because if you're successful, it goes to your head. And even more damaging, if you're a failure, it goes to your heart. And then you lack a sense of self. You lack a, 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 a you, you think you're a complete failure as a person. If we are, our work, God matters to our work so that our identity is not wrapped up in what we do and in our career, but our identity is wrapped up and rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ, who he is, what he has done for us, who he's made us to be, that whatever your work, whether you're successful or failure, that God, that you matter to him. God matters, to your work, or God matters to your work so that your work is not your identity. God matters to your work so that you have a guide in morality. There has never been a time, I don't think, maybe you can prove me wrong and that's fine, but I don't think there's ever been a time where there's been so much pressure on profitability to do more with less. To do more work, to have more profitability, to squeeze out every bit of profitability, to squeeze out every inch of every employee. And there's so much pressure then for those who are under that pressure to cut corners because they see other people doing it. And, and it makes sense too because if, if you go to college and when, when you go through your, your collegiate education, you find out, well, everything is relative. Like all truth is relative and, and morality is relative. It just kind of, you, you define your own truth and what's true for you is true for you. And, and you have these professors that are teaching this and then you get a job. And then you start saying, well, it's my truth and it's going to be okay because it's all more all relative. And then all of a sudden you start to be able to find yourself having all of these decisions that you need to make. You have to be, you get into being confronted with choices and decisions and opportunities to cut corners and to maybe just cut a little off of this or not be quite as truthful as you might ought to be or just be saying, well, no, it's pretty close. It's close to, it's got to be like 75% true to our, to our clients, to our customers, to reporting our earnings. But if you get caught, then it just the hammer comes down and you get fired or you get or you get reprimanded or you get to you, you get a lawsuit or you end up in jail and you say all I was doing was what I was taught I thought it was all relative now what what, what guide of morality do you, do you have for the Christian unless you have an inner moral compass that comes from your relationship with Christ then you are going to have a lot of trouble then you are going to find yourself challenged you're going to have a hard time saying no. You're going to have a lot of trouble telling your investors the real worth. You're going to have a hard time being transparent with your customers. You're going to overpromise and underdeliver. We need to have something that guides our morality. God matters to your work. Your Christian faith matters to your work. So that you have an inner moral compass to be able to guide your decision-making. Thirdly is this, God matters to your work so that your faith can give distinctive shape to your work. That's long and wordy, but I, didn't, I couldn't make it shorter. 
God matters to your work so that you, your faith can shape, distinctively, Christianly shape the way in which you do your work. Let me give you an example. This week I was with, a, a, I had a conversation with one of my best friends. He happened to be in town on business. We got together. It was fantastic. But he, he, is, he happens to be one of the leading thought leaders in B2B e-commerce or business-to-business e-commerce. And so we were talking about his company. We were talking about all the work that he's doing. And, he's, he, and he, goes, he, has, he goes around on the speaking circuit to, the, to those who are interested in this particular line uh, of thinking and, and, of, and of, of business. And so he does a lot of presentations. And he says, I'm, in, I'm finishing this season of presentations. And he's like, and now I've got to create new something new. And, and then he says this. He says, um, as I'm thinking about this as a Christian, he says, I really want my presentations of business-to-business e-commerce thinking. He says, I want it to mimic the gospel. How, how can we do that? How, I won't be talking about Jesus. I can't mention Jesus. But how can the way in which I do what I do, how can I be sharing the storyline of the Bible? How can I be talking about? And so together, we had a half hour or 45 minute discussion about how we started talking about biblical themes, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. We started talking about the fact that, listen, the, the world has, the world has, advertisers have taken the, the Bible. They've taken the Bible message and they said, hey, if, if, if you're going to hell. You're going into fat hell. You're, you're gonna be, it's, it's fat hell, you're gonna be fat, it's gonna be terrible, but we have the Nutrisystem solution to get you to heaven. And then you're gonna be in thin heaven. It's going to be fantastic for you. All you have to do for $1,000 is come and do our thing and starve yourself. And guess what? You'll be in heaven. We have the solution. So we were talking about, because why? He says, as a Christian, I want my work to be shaped distinctively by the gospel message of Jesus Christ. Even though if it's not explicit, how does the gospel shape where you are, how you live your life. I, was just, I just heard in, in conversation this weekend about a kindergarten teacher in a secular public school who says, who, who, who goes in and she, she starts out introducing herself to the parents and saying, I just want you to know I've been a Sunday school teacher for a whole bunch of years. And on the back wall of the classroom, she says, here, I want you to see is the tree of life. Do you know the tree of life? <laughs> it's from the Bible. And she's sliding this in to help inform thinking of kindergarten students because she's allowing the gospel and the scriptures to shape her work. How is the gospel informing your work so that you can be useful and helpful? Finally, this, God matters to your work so that you can work with hope. Some of you went to law school because you loved justice, because you wanted to help people. And then you started to practice law and you had to get involved in divorces and you had to get involved in litigation. You started to see the ugly underbelly of humanity. And you said, why am I doing this? Some of you went into teaching because you wanted to actually learn. You wanted to actually teach these children how to learn and to shape minds for the future. And then you got into the school districts and found that all the administrators want you to do is teach to the testing so that the school districts can get more money. And you're frustrated by what's happening in your own school district and, and the toil that comes. But when you understand that your work matters to God, for the Christian who understands no matter what my job is, my work 
matters to God. And God is using my work to help sustain the creation that he has actually made. And one day God will return, Christ will return, and he will restore all things. And then our work will not be stained with frustration and oppression and tyranny, but it will actually be hope-filled and joy-filled. So now maybe we can get a taste of that hope, of that joy. We can work to that because we put it in a bigger picture of all that God is doing. I know studying is hard. I know studying is difficult. But listen, it will help you be able to honor God in your profession until he comes and we will work for his glory for all of eternity. We are those who can go into our Mondays, even though there's difficulty, even though there's challenge, with great hope. God wants this for us. He wants this for you because God loves you, because he created you, because he wants to guide you, because he wants you to be wise. Let's pray. Father, we, so many of us, spend 90% of our life working, toiling with our hands, and we want to honor you it's challenging for us. Will you help us to think deeply on these things? There are far smarter people here who know deeply about professions, and will you help them to think deeply about how they can allow the gospel to shape their profession, to shape their work? And will you use us to be instruments of hope and of joy until you return and we're with you? In your name we pray, amen.